0: You will not be surprised to know that I'm not a runner. Um, there's a story behind that. Uh, it it actually begins and ends in grade seven. So I, I turned out for the grade seven track team because there were some girls I wanted to be around and uh, and some of my friends were doing it. And so before the before the grade, they don't take grade seven track that seriously. So before the grade seven, uh, first track meet, we only had like two practices and the practices involved mostly walking around the track um, and, you know, being as near the girls as you could get that kind of stuff. And so uh, we had the first, the first track meet and uh, it was at our school on the east side of Seattle. And uh, I remember the, I remember the, the, the coach came and asked me what I'd like to run. And I was like, I had, I don't know. He said, are you a distance guy? And I said, probably not. Uh, and he said, so sprinting? And I said, no. It's not. So I'll do something in the middle. And for somebody my age, he's something in the middle was just one time around. his kid said, can you run one time around the track? And I was like, yeah. I mean, of course I could run one time around the track. He said, we'll put you in that event, okay? So in the United States, dealing with yards. So they called it the 440. Here, 400 meters here, right? So... Um, We, I remember standing on the line, and they called everyone forward. And you're stand on this line, and you're, you know, they held the guy holds the gun, and he says, "Ready, mark, set, go," and everybody takes off. And I immediately realized after about six steps that I was probably not going to be winning this race, or anywhere near the back of the race. Uh, But I didn't want my biggest fear was that I was going to be so far behind that they would have to hold the next race until I finished. And be that guy that everyone's like, oh, good for you. You know, like he just, he just finished. Uh, like you would only have one leg or something. So I, I was like, okay, I'm going to try to keep up, keep up as much as I can. And I was running, seriously, as fast as I possibly could. And I was keeping up with some of the, some of the guys toward the end of the thing. So maybe the first 100 meters, I, I actually started to feel my lungs started to burn a bit. And I thought, oh, I hope I hope I can keep this going for the next three quarters of this thing. I got about halfway through, and I started to feel my legs shaking a bit. But it was at the kind of when we rounded the turn to come down the back stretch that I, my I was already quite a distance behind. But my. I, I, people talk about hitting the wall, right? That's a language they use. And I had not known what that meant before. It was like running. You feel like you're running in molasses. Well, that, ha- that happened to me. I felt like I was in a dream where, you know, you're trying to run, and but you can't. You're just staying in one place. And then, no, absolutely no joke, the entire side of my body shut down. It was like I had a stroke at grade seven right in this moment. And I am not kidding, I fell over on the infield because the left side of my body just kind of tipped over. I'm so happy this was before Instagram, right? Because I can imagine, it's like somebody shot me from the grassy knoll and I just went over. And I just, I do remember laying there on my side, not really being able to move because I was so tired and horrible and my friends were laughing at me. And so I've never run again. Um, that, that idea of, of running a race though is a, is a common image that's used in the scriptures to describe the Christian life. So if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus here, your, your life as a Christian is described by many of the biblical writers as, as a race. It has a beginning, right? You come to faith in Jesus at some point. You pray to receive Christ, and you get baptized, and then you start this race out, and you And you have a, there's a middle to it, and then there's the definable end. When you die or Jesus comes back, right? So this, this is considered a, the, the great race of faith, and so you have language in the Scriptures that Point that direction. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. 1 Corinthians nine, twenty-four. The Apostle Paul writes, do, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run, Christian, in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it for a a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. You're in in a race. Run to win. And that's why you have these posters all over our church with these images on them with people sweating and run to win. And that's because this sermon series that we're just kind of getting into, this is the second week, and it is about the necessity for you to continue running the race in order to finally get the prize. Because the question that is raised among many Christians, rightfully so, is what happens if you start the race? You know, you, you, you get baptized, you pray to receive Jesus, and you're going for a little while, but then you stop. And people, you walk away from the faith. What do we say about the eternal state the destiny of those people. Will they stand before God one day and hear his commendation, well done, or will they hear his condemnation? I never knew you. The theological language that we're working with here is the the word of apostasy. What What do you do with the problem of apostasy? Somebody who starts but doesn't finish is called apostate. Well, we aim to answer that question through just studying several passages. I gotta tell you, there are so many passages of Scripture, especially in the New Testament, that deal with this issue. Every book of the Bible deals with this particular issue at some level or another. So we have selected some of the key ones out, and we're gonna be studying over the next few weeks. Today, we're going to be studying Colossians 1, 21 to 23. Now, this passage is so great. Imagine that if I came right now and closed my eyes and I, I just kind of just spun around and I pointed to somebody in the room and I said, come up here. And you stood next to me. I gave you a microphone and, and I said, okay, I want you to summarize the Christian message in a tweetable length. Go. Some of you have like nightmares about that right there. Like, go explain what Christianity is all about in a short section. Well, what you have here in Colossians 1, 21 to 23 is a great passage of Scripture that does that. If somebody ever asks you to explain the gospel, you just go to Colossians 1, 21 to 23 and say, this is a summary. And here it is. Here's the tweetable form. He reconciled us to present us if we continue. He reconciled us to present us if we continue. You'll see as we go through this passage, those are the big, big ideas that he's working with here. So the first of those, okay, he, re, he reconciled us. Verse 21 of Colossians chapter 1 once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Now, I want to, that because of your evil behavior is, the translation is probably better to say as, it, as it's worked out in your evil behavior, okay? Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds and that enemyness worked itself out in your evil behavior, but now... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. So once alienated enemies, but now reconciled. So this, this idea of putting side by side, something we do all the time. This guy sent me a meme the other day, you know, a meme, a little picture that has little words on the bottom to make a joke. He was a guy who works on our staff. And that was just before Christmas. And he sent, he sent me this picture of me when I came to Northview, uh, Ten years ago, and a good thirty pounds ago, right when I first came, and then me now, so side by side. And he said once, and, and now, and on the bottom it, it said "blown up like a balloon?" Question mark. So um, he doesn't work here anymore. That's. <laughs> That's not normally the way you do the side-by-side. Usually it's actually used to be blown up like a balloon, but look at me now, svelte and awesome, right? So maybe you have a haircut that you don't like. You could put yourself side-by-side. Look at me in 1989 with the mullet and the horrible facial hair, and now I just don't have a mullet. It's the same horrible facial hair, but there's no mullet there, right? Once, now, once my house looked like this, and now it looks like this. You've seen on Instagram, somebody sends you this one story. Look at what we did to our house. Look at what we did to my hair. What? Once now. This is the image that Paul's working with. He's basically putting before you, look, I want, I want you to think about what you used to be, and I want you to compare it with what you are now, Christian. So, once we were alienated from God. And that alienation took the form of uh, being an enemy of God in our minds. We didn't like Him. We were at odds with Him. We had beef with Him, as my boys say. And it worked itself out in our evil behavior. That's how, that's how beef works it, it works itself out in, in the behavior you have towards someone else. That's how alienation works. Now, listen. There are two different ways that you can be an enemy. There's two different ways you can be at war with God. One of the ways is what I'll call a hot war, right? I don't like God. I hate him and his ways and all his Bible teaching and all this rubbish, and I'm going to do whatever I can to live the opposite way than what he tells me to. Shake your fist in his face. Overt. Overt. We're at war, me and God, hot war. Lots and lots of people outside the church are at hot war with God. Lots and lots of people who are unbelievers, hot war with God. But you could also be in a cold war with God. It's a little more subtle, right? I'm, I'm, I'm old enough to remember the days of the evil Soviet Union and the Cold War that exists between the United States and the Soviet Union. I remember being in classrooms where they would say, "All right, we're having a nuclear, uh, we're having a nuclear response test. Everyone, there's a bomb about to drop. Get under your desks because they'll protect you, right? They're lead-lined or whatever. <laughs> Duck and cover and all that kind of thing." I, I remember Ronald Reagan in the 1980s, the U.S. president, going and. He'd telling everybody how horrible the Soviets were and how wicked they were, and the worst people on the planet were them, and all they were the enemies in all our movies. And but then he'd go to these summits where he'd meet together, you know, in Reykjavik. It was always in Reykjavik. He would he would meet together with the Russian prime minister or the or the premier or the president, Gorbachev, and they would be standing there shaking hands and smiling, going through the motions, right? Have the flags behind them, look how well we get along. And then but then they'd leave. And the truth would come out that they don't really like each other. Listen, you can be at war with God in this Cold War way. It's way more subtle. You you might go to church, you know, do the handshake so everybody can see. Be be involved in the religious setting, but still be at war with God. Because the moment you leave in your mind and heart, you're like, I don't want to do anything he says. But I'm just going through the motions because I'm tricking him and everybody else. So so alienation with God shows up in a hot way and it shows up in a cold way. What Paul's saying is everybody, whether hot or cold, were at one point alienated to him. Enemies in their minds and was working itself out in their behavior. You can tell by the way they're acting toward him. But now, so that's the first picture, the mullet picture, but now, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. Notice, just notice the language. He, the subject, the actor in the sentence, has reconciled you, the object of the reconciliation. It does not say that you and he got together and had a mutual agreement on how you would both be reconciled. It does not say that you have contributed to your reconciliation very much. It says that he reconciled you. He chased you down. You ever had a disagreement with a friend? The one who is doing the reconciling is the one who's chasing the other down. Okay, so, so uh, when my wife and I were, were dating, she doesn't like to remember this story, so I like to bring an effort, don't tell her, okay? We were dating, and she, was, uh, she and I were standing in the, in, in, in the room where I, where I lived in a house with other seven other guys, Lived in this house. This house was disgusting. Like it was really, really gross. And she would frequently make comments about it. And I think at one point I got frustrated with her making comments about it. I'm a relatively fiery guy. Have you noticed that a little bit? So I'm a relatively fiery guy. And so sometimes little things like, hey, your house is a bit of a mess. You know, I'll freak out about that kind of stuff. And we were having a discussion along these lines, which involved me and her crying. And so I remember she said, I am done with this. And she walked out of the room down to the car. Now I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know I'm done with this, this ugly, disgusting house you live in. I'm done with this, this discussion, or I'm done with this, Jeff, this, right? (laughs) So while she's going downstairs and getting in her car and she peeling out, going backwards and going down, she was going to go down the alleyway that was behind her house so she could get out. It occurred to me while she was getting the car that, oh my goodness, this... Like, she might mean the third of those. Like, I'm, I'm done with this, Jeff. I was wearing a pair of shorts. It was the middle of winter. Wearing a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and no shoes. And I ran out the back of the house. And I, like, I can't remember if I grabbed my bike or I think there was a bike of the neighbors I grabbed on top. I remember riding my crazy like, down the alley well, as she was driving away I was going as hard as I could she had to stop at the stop signs but I, I caught her and I and I hit the, the 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 hood of the car and I said you're not leaving <laughs> tears you're not leaving notice by the way that I am the I am the God character in this story <laughs> and that she she is the sinful humanity right okay he's a better one doesn't involve a name you get the idea though right the image of he the reconciliation is something that a god is doing for you he's chasing you down the god of heaven who you've wronged and rebelled against cold or hot shake your fist at him in one way or another he's the one who's chasing you down I was at a, the funeral here at, at our church a number of weeks ago uh, where Vern Heidebrecht, who is the great pastor of this church, years before I, I got here, wonderful man. They were celebrating his life. He had just passed away recently. And his granddaughter, who, uh, who lived with Vern and his wife Carol, they she lived with them for a number of years. His granddaughter was standing up and describing her grandfather. And this is one of the ways she, she said, she said, there was one time where I was... So sick and tired of living with them, with everything. And I didn't want anybody telling me what to do. And so I just took off out of the house, right, with my stuff packed. And I'm walking down the street. I'm done with all of you people, right? Shake your fist. And back. And she said, my, my grandfather, Vern, he, he, he was in bare feet, right? I, pajama type thing. Like, you know, he was just nothing. He was walking right behind me as far as I was going to go. He was walking behind me just saying, I love you. We love you. Come home. Come home. So, who's doing the reconciling there? Dad is. Who does the reconciling? God does. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While you were running away, chasing you down. I will not let you go. I will not let you go. He reconciled us. You know, it's interesting when you, when you look at the, this comparison that goes on in the scriptures, right, between the once. Now, Paul loves to use this language. He uses it all over the place. I'll give you a couple examples. But he always does it with a goal. Like there's an application to it for him. I want you to compare what you once were to what you now are for this reason. Notice what he says, for example, in Galatians 4, verse 8. He says, formerly, right, once, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, but now that you know him, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You used to be like this. Now you're free from that. Why are you going back to slavery? Be who you are. Ephesians 5:8, uh, you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. What's the application? Live as children of light. Don't live like you formerly were, live like who you are now. Be who, be who you are. You can imagine if you went to the slums of Brazil and you went and grabbed some person and said, listen, I want to take you and I want to place you in this house that I've purchased for you on the other side of town. It's got several bedrooms and it's all yours. You hand, you show it to them, they walk around, they're stunned. In awe of your generosity, you chased them down. You've given them this gift. You hand them the keys and the deed to the house, and you say, isn't this great? They're in tears. Yes, it's wonderful. The next morning, you show up at the slum where you pick them up, and you find them living in the same squalor they were living in before. What would you do? You, when you grab them by the shoulders and say, what is wrong with you? You don't live here anymore. This is what you used to be. Now you own the house. Be who you are. Christian, be who you are. If you're free from sin, live as free from sin. If you are an adopted child of the king, live as an adopted child of the king. O oh, prince and princess. Oh, but I'm so worried. Why are we so, why so worried? We are heirs with Christ. Sovereign God cares for us. Covenant keeping God. That's who, that's who you are. That's who you are. As you know, years ago I've told this story before. There was this uh, we had to move some chickens. The church I used to used to work at in New Zealand, I, we had to move some chickens. We took the dead chickens out of this was to make some money for the church. We took some dead chickens out, and we replaced them with the new chickens. When you're taking the dead chickens out, out of the, their cages, oftentimes when I started doing it, I wasn't very good at it, right? Especially, I didn't realize that they were going to claw you to death. So I pulled the chickens out, and they're clawing you to death. I'm like, yay, and you drop them. So several chickens were on the ground, and I was like, well, they're, they're gone, and the reason I said they're gone is because the, the door to the barn was wide open, Right? So the chickens would drop to the ground and they'd run toward the door. And I was like, I don't know, I have to answer for that. You know, maybe the coyotes will get them. So anyway, once I'm done moving all the chickens, I saw it. Well, I'll go and find the ones that I dropped. So I walked over to the the door of the barn and they're lined up. Looking out, open, brand open door to the New Zealand horizon. Freedom is out there. And they will not cross the threshold, even though there's nothing stopping them. They're so used to being in the cage That even though they're running around now, they still think they're in the cage, looking wistfully out there. Oh, I wish I were free. You are free, chicken. (laughs) But you're still living like you're in a cage. So here's the moral to the story. Don't be a chicken. (laughs) And I'll tell you what, there are a lot of Christian chickens around. There's so many of us who are living our lives like we are still under under the rulership of sin, still under the fear of sin, if you are free, you are free indeed. Be who you are. He reconciled us. To present us. So he has a goal. Look at the, I'll start in verse 21 again, and I'm going to read a little bit further this time. Now, once you were alienated from God, enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. Why? Why has he done this once now thing? Why? Why? To present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Have you ever been to a baptism service? If you're Listen, if you want to be inspired in your faith, you should come to a baptism service. It is so cool to see people commit their, their way to the Lord publicly. It's amazing. Watch the beginning of the race start, and all these people with excitement in their faces. A baptism service, oftentimes you as a family can come and gather around the place where people are being baptized, whether it's at a lake or maybe in a tub somewhere. You gather around and the person who's being baptized is now dunked under the water and they're back up, you know, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and raised to new life. And then they come back up. Everybody's like, yes, freaking out. They're so excited about it and tears and hugs and you have dessert afterwards. Celebration for the beginning of the race. We are really good, folks. In the Christian church, we are really good at celebrating the beginning of the race. Rightfully so. The the danger is that you can be tempted to think after a baptism service as, as you walk out, think, well, job done. I mean, in the life of that person, saved. Let's move on to the next. When actually, that's not the way God views it. God views it as the beginning of the race, with a lot more race to go. The beginning, quite honestly, of the renovation. He he didn't save them just to save their souls for heaven. He didn't save you just to get your soul into heaven. He saved you that he might renovate you. He saved you that you might be holy. Holy. And he's working toward making you blameless in his sight, so that he will present you one day as the finished article. You get this in several places in the scriptures. Ephesians one four, uh, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Why? To be holy and blameless in his sight. Ephesians five twenty five, husbands love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. And he, Christ, gave himself up for her. Why would Jesus give himself up for the church? Well, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Like When he he got you, when he got his bride, she wasn't much to look at. But over time, he's developed her into a magnificent creature. Do you realize that there will be a day where after God is done renovating you, he will present you to himself and he will say, in heaven. All the people will come around and he will say, do you see this one right here? Bit of a mess when I started. But look at her now. Magnificent. For all eternity, you will celebrate this renovating God who wouldn't leave you alone but sought your renovation. We have a good friend who uh, was part of our church here for a number of years. He was one of the elders here, and he moved up to Kelowna. I remember when he moved up to Kelowna. He said, you, Jeff, you got to come and see this house that we're, we're going to buy. And I was like, oh, he says, he's got this magnificent view. Okay. We went up and, and looked at it with him. Drove up and through the woods forever, eventually came out on this, some street somewhere. And uh, I, I looked at the house, and guys, there's no house. Like, it was just a, a couple of, like, pillars with a roof over the top and, like, tarp, tarp over the side of a lot of the stuff. Apparently, it used to be, it, it was a, a Hells Angels gang hang, hangout for a number of years. And so I walked to the edge of it, and I said, this is your house? He goes, yeah, yeah, just walk inside real quick. Just be careful, there's a lot of bats in the up, <laughs> up in the ceiling there. We, we, we got to do something about that, he said. <laughs> okay, that's probably a good idea. You might want to start getting rid of the bats. He said, isn't it magnificent? Look at the view. Isn't it magnificent? <laughs> no. It's not magnificent at all. She's a bit of a mess. What are you going to do in the meantime? Well, we're, we're going to renovate, but we're going to live in a trailer just outside for next while. Okay. This will be great. Have you talk to your wife about this? Yeah. Yeah. She's all on board. Okay. We'll see. Anyway, for the next couple of years, live in the trailer, but I come back every once in a while, see this house, the next stage. A little bit more was done. Next stage, a little bit more was done. Guys, I'm telling you, if you walked into this house right now, you would walk in and go, Oh my word, this is fantastic. Look at that view. Look at the handiwork, the magnificence of it. That's what it'll be like. Listen, you do realize that this is what God's doing in your life, right? Renovating you. Christian, He's, ma- he's making you holy. You, you say, Why won't He leave me alone? Mm, a renovation. Why don't things turn out like I want them to turn out? Renovation. It's like God's after something in my life that I'm not after. Right, you're after comfort, he's after holiness. But there will be a day where he presents you and you will look at it and think, oh, oh God, you're magnificent. Hmm. So he reconciled us to present us, if we continue. I gotta be honest with you, that one right there is probably not the one you would have included in the tweet. Paul does. He's pretty happy with it. If we continue. So I'll read the passage again. Once we were alienated from God, verse 21, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in, now it says your faith here, the better translation here is the faith. If you continue in the faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. That language of established and firm is really interesting. Those words are used in the ancient world to talk about buildings. Buildings. So you have established and firm buildings, and then you have buildings that are not established and firms. In the ancient world, if you lived in a city there, it would be a very regular occurrence for you to be walking down the street of your city and hear a distant crashing. And that distant crashing was apartment buildings just falling over. Very common. And ancient writers talk about this as, a pro- as an issue. Right? One day you might be living on the sixth floor of your apartment building, and then you're on the ground caused a lot, a lot of deaths, the building codes in those days. So th- there are the kinds of buildings that are not established and firm. And Paul's trying to get that you, your mind working there. He's saying, listen, some of the, some of the buildings are built so poorly and they have such bad foundations. They just fall over. You don't want to be that one. You want to be the established and firm one. And the only way that you're going to be that way is you hold true to the faith established in the doctrine the, the Colossian church was facing a problem. The problem was false teaching. There were some some people within their church who were saying basically this, that listen, all this stuff about Jesus is fantastic and believe in Jesus and grace alone and all. It's so great, so great. But God also wants us to eat certain foods like kale. Sorry, they didn't say kale. It's just a lot of people these days love the kale and I think it's evil, but... you. <laughs> You need to obey Jesus and this other stuff. See, it's Jesus plus not having this or eating these things or not celebrating on these particular days. That makes you a Christian. Jesus plus, and Paul comes at this and says, Whoa, that's a different gospel. That's straying away from the faith that you've inherited. And if you guys go that direction, Colossian Church, let me tell you, you are not continuing. And if you don't continue, then this once now isn't true of you. So just so we're really clear here, the once now story he reconciled us to present us is only true of those who stand firm in the faith until the end of their lives little theology, okay? Um, when, you, when you deal with the question that I raised earlier, uh, theologically, what do we say about the apostate? What do we say about the person who starts the race and doesn't finish? Okay? There are three big views that the church has had over the last number of years. Okay, I'll give them to you. Ooh, I flip chart. Okay, so the first one is what I call decisionism. Decisionism is the belief that if you made a decision for Jesus at some point in your life, it does not matter what happens after that moment. It doesn't matter if there's any sign of renovation in your life. It doesn't matter if you finish the race. Starting is all that matters. If you prayed a prayer on one particular occasion and you came forward when the pastor said, come forward if you want to receive Jesus, or raise your hand, or at the Alpha meeting, at your table, or maybe your parents, if you prayed a prayer, that's enough. And it doesn't matter what happens after that. That's decisionism. So so those people who prayed that prayer, they're saved no matter what, okay? The second option, though, is the person who, uh, who gives up the race, lost it, lost their salvation. See, they had salvation by beginning it, but then halfway through by not completing, they didn't actually, they don't have it anymore. They lost something they had. The, the third option is that by quitting, it shows that they never actually had salvation because a race, in the race, the prize goes to the one who finishes. So you don't, you don't have salvation yet. You have it when you finish. Now, here's, here's my point. I don't want to get involved in the theological debate, except to say this. View number two and view number three, functionally, meaning at the end of all the things, are the same. They both say that the person who gives up halfway through the race is not saved. But number one says, yes, they are. And I'm going to tell you that number one according to the scriptures, is just blatantly false. It's not true. Now, when I say that in classrooms and other places in churches, I always laugh a little because people sit there and you can, I can feel it. They're like, no, you're wrong. Okay, <laughs> so, so ready? I am going to try to uh, dogpile you with scripture now. All right, so there you are. Here, here, comes, the dog, here comes the scripture dogpile. Hebrews chapter, first of all, this passage that we're dealing with here, Colossians chapter 1, if you continue, Hebrews chapter 3, the people, the book of Hebrews was written to a group of people who used to be Jewish, and now are Christian, and the Christian church is being persecuted, and so a lot of the people are thinking, you know, if we want to save our lives, we just go back to Judaism. So the writer of Hebrews warns them several times, Hebrews 3, verse 12, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. There's nothing for you back there. You have come to share in Christ if you continue. And hold firm the original conviction till the end. Check in John 9. Now John is writing uh, his letter here to a church that has a bunch of people that has gone out and they've started to preach something different. And so the church is trying to figure out, okay, so these people who are part of us have now gone out and started preaching something differently. What do we think about them? They departed from the faith. What do we think about them? 2 John 9. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Acts 14. When the Apostle Paul is coming back from a trip and he's come back to the churches that he's established, so new converts, people who've just been baptized, He comes back, and he's got words of encouragement for them. Acts 14, verse 21, they preached the gospel in that city, won a large number of disciples, and then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, right, to talk to to the believers there, strengthening the disciples, and they encouraged them to remain true to the faith. This is what they said to the new believers. You guys remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Race isn't done, you just began. Praise God, you just began. Race isn't done. Continue. Many hardships ahead. Continue. And you're at risk that you might give up. And it'll all be for naught. Finally, the apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, about his own life, this man who was a great, great champion of Christianity, a great follower of Jesus. Listen to what he says in his dying words. He says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. I'm about to die. He knows it. He's writing to his protege, his buddy, Timothy, who he's traveled all over the place with. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, Timothy. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now, now, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have longed for his appearing. You see, you see the point. Here it is, just so we're absolutely clear. Only those who persevere to the end will be saved. You know, it's funny, that last passage, I was at Vern's funeral. I had knee surgery just the days, a couple days before, so I had to sit kind of in the back with my leg up and when the service was over, I kind of hobbled down, and I was going through the hallway to head back upstairs so I could put my knee up again. And um, one of the guys, I've, I taught classes on this subject several times around our church and other places, and um, one of the guys who was in one of my classes about this, it was like six weeks where we looked at every passage in the New Testament that talked about this. This guy who'd been in this class, he said to me over every, there was a whole bunch of people out in the hallway greeting each other and sharing memories about Vern. And this guy, he said, Jeff! He made it, above everybody. He made it. He finished the race. That's right. He made it. He kept the faith. May that be said of all of us. On the day of our funeral, he reconciled us to present us if we continue. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm, I'm so thankful for this passage of Scripture and for the challenges that it lays forth, and I know that, I don't know, theologically, this probably raises all sorts of questions in the minds of people, and I pray that their response to that would be they'd come back, hear more about what it is that you have given to us here. Father, I'm convinced that you have placed these things in Scripture as a means to keep us in the faith, Father, that we will hear these words, take heed, and pay more careful attention to the salvation that is so great. So God, I pray that you'd help us to not drift away, but instead, Father, pay that attention to it. Would you, by the power of your spirit, make that a reality? And we're thankful for the promises of Scripture that say that you who began this good work in us will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ. It's in that sense now, Father, we commend ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.